Hello, welcome to day 51 of the Social Distance Social Club. Super special because, as you know, for the last week or so, I've been uh, asking people for their suggestions as to who I could interview as we enter the second half century of these shows. And uh, I'm super excited to get that off the ball with somebody I do know already um, because we all work on the same show circuit together. So it's Jonathan Marshall, who is a horseback falconer. Now, some of you might know that I have my <laughs> macaw, which is not quite the same, nowhere like in the same league. Um, but there we go. However, it is a bird. Uh, I have had to get the bird used to the horses. So we do have a certain amount there. I've seen Jonathan's show um, when we happened to be on the same bill somewhere in Dorset, and I, I can't remember where. But, of course, I had to get my show ready. So I went over to say hello, introduce myself. We had all of two minutes chat, and um, I saw the first 15 minutes of his show, and uh, then I had to go and get my own show ready. So I am delighted to be able to have a chat. We'll find out about falconry, horseback falconry, um, a little bit back history, find out about uh, what he does, and then you'll have a chance to get on and ask us any questions about rider confidence on my part. And um, well, we'll ask we'll ask Jonathan what he wants to be, uh, whether he wants to be asked about falconry, I suppose, or <laughs> horseback falconry. Uh, we'll see. So I need to find the invite. So I'm going to put the invite on. Um, but whilst we're having a, a little chat, you, you may have to wait. So please be patient while we get that all done. Okay, lovely. So there we are. There's the link. So hopefully um, we'll have Jonathan Marshall joining the show soon. Let me just bob that on here as well. You don't get this on the one show, do you? Watching them all go behind the scenes. There we are. You just uh... okay, lovely. We'll see if this technology is about to to work or not. I do hope it is. <laughs> yeah, you don't see this on the one show. They just have people at the background doing this for them. So there we go. Super. Let me just say good morning to everybody. Thank you very much. <laughs> Kerry says this is definitely better than the one show. I don't know about that. We we had um, Matt Baker here for a, we had a Jigitofka show in there, a midsummer show, which we were going to do this year uh, in 20 days. And of course, we're not going to do it now because... Um, there we are. We we had a, a different year come through instead. Possibly we'll be doing a show, an open day here for uh, September time, but we'll ha we'll have to just see. I haven't I haven't um, I haven't renewed the visas for the Russians or anything like that. Um, so because we don't know how long this is is going to take. Okay. Type in a bit more there. So yes, Matt, Matt Baker used to be a gymnast as well, so he thoroughly appreciated the skills of uh, the 
British and the Russian team, um, which is gymnastics on horseback as well as weapons. That was marvellous. We, we tried to get him to get it on the one show, but he said, because you don't wear hats, it's probably going to be a hard sell. And I think there we are. Uh, Carrie-Anne asks, can I ask what you study to be a rider confidence coach? Um, I went to the Clifton Practice, which is the largest hypnotherapy school in the Southwest. Uh, got a, did a year's course, got a diploma in hypnotherapy and psychotherapy. I was then a hypnotherapist, a regular hypnotherapist on um smoking, stress, anxiety, depression, weight loss, you know, the regular things for four or five years. And then we started doing the rider confidence course, which started to be, which was much more physical in those days, much more physical and um, just how to rear, how to fall. And just as a, a backup to that, I just included a little bit of my hypnotherapy and the hypnotherapy was getting results and then of course we began to get more people with more worries and through conversations with them and over the years of about 10 years of, of doing people we got yeah lots and lots of people and began to introduce conversational hypnosis throughout the day so there we go my qualification is let me just forgot a diploma in hypnotherapy and psychotherapy awarded from the Clifton practice in Clifton. There we are, lovely. Okay, so good morning to everybody. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm so excited to get this uh, special guest on. So without any more further ado, let me just uh, try and get Carrie Ann's comment there. Uh, I don't know if he needs introduction, um, certainly not to me. Hello, good morning, morning. Can you hear me? Hello. Thank goodness for that. Gosh, I tell you what, Carl, you're pretty cool under pressure. I was charging around everywhere. I spilt me cup of tea. I stubbed my toe on the coffee table. <laughs> no, oh, you're, you're light years ahead of me. I've forgotten my cup of tea. Oh, right. Okay, no. Oh. I thought you couldn't me for a second. No, this, 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 this exterior of cool calm has been betrayed by the fact that I've just remembered that my cup of coffee is sat by the kettle in the house yeah. over there. So oh, there we okay. go. It for you. <laughs> well, I know who you are, and obviously, yeah. people on the on on the comments, we 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 obviously have a uh, a shared um, audience. I'd I'd have thought yeah. anyway. Most people that I speak to know who you are, but for those yeah. who don't know who you are, would you like to introduce yourself? What you do? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, before I do that, let me just quickly say, Carl, I actually have known you a bit longer than you think because the the first time we met. Me. We met at a very, very small event, oh gosh, probably 15 years ago, and you were doing a little jousting show, and I was doing the falconry, it was it was before I had my hawkers, and we had a, a chat, and we really got on, and I really liked you straight away, because you got a very friendly personality, and as you know, if you're working in the show world, there's a little bit of jealousy, especially if you're doing okay, people don't like it. Uh, and you were immediately friendly. And I thought, ah, oh, how refreshing to have somebody who's actually really friendly. So that's when we first met. And we have chatted numerous times since. But I admire you and I really like what you're doing. OK, uh, me. Well, uh, yes, I'm a horseback falconer. Uh, had horses ever since I can remember. And you know what it's like if you're brought up with something, you don't really think it's that special because you've always done it. And it wasn't until I got to, I suppose, my late 
teens. Having oh, I'm been going a... to interrupt. I'm ever so rude like that. Where were you brought up? Oh, um, I was brought up in Lancashire, a place called, you probably wouldn't hear have heard of it, but I'll tell you the nearest town is called Southport. Mm. Uh, but I was just outside a place called Scaresbrick. And mm. we lived in the countryside, me and my mum and dad, and I was one of five kids. Family and, business? Um, my dad had a business, nothing to do with horses, nothing like that. My dad was a wholesale tobacconist and confectioner. He used to say that he was a, a drug dealer because <laughs> obviously tobacco now these days is frowned upon. But uh, I didn't want to get involved in the family business because, well, I felt as though it wasn't glamorous enough for me. Um, my passion was always animals and still is animals. So and if you had horses, but your father was a tobacconist, where uh, presumably you weren't growing a farm full of tobacco, how did that? No, how did it come no. about that you had horses? Well, it was called Fir Tree Farm. It was an old farmhouse. And basically, my dad, uh, poor, poor old dad, who's God rest his soul, he worked his socks off all his life, really, to enable my mum to pursue her hobby, which oh, was having animals uh my mum basically i'm just like my mum and she loves animals she, even though now she's in her 70s she's still surrounded by chickens and ducks and ponies and you know animals everywhere and it was always like that i was brought up in that environment and um so of course uh being the sort of blue-eyed boy i used to be with my mum all the time i'm very close to my mum i don't think i'm a mummy's boy but i absolutely adore my is she, is she still in lancashire no, she's down here in Cornwall, where I live now. We all moved down here in 1988. So, um, yeah, I was encouraged to keep ponies and did all my Hang life. on. How old are you? I'm 52 in August. Oh, I thought I was older than you. I'm 51. You're beating me. Anyway, mm. yeah. It's just when you said 19... When you were in 1988, it was kind of like, hang on a minute. I was, I was sure I was about 10 years older than you, but there you go. Um, yeah. when, when's my birthday? Pisces, 2nd of March. 2nd of March, okay. Yeah, well, I'm a Leo, typical Leo. A big show-off. Um, anyway, um, so, yeah, brought up with ponies. And then when I got to about eight years old, the ripe old age of eight, we went to the Lake District on holiday as a family, and I saw the Golden Eagle at Grisdale. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, Carl, it was just like a glass slipper moment in my life that seeing this golden eagle, I'd never even thought about birds of prey before, but seeing this golden eagle was just an amazing experience. And I just, I was completely and utterly taken over by the romance of birds of prey. And um, I bought every book I could. Um, of course, this is going back, this shows our age. This is before DVDs and the internet and stuff like that. So I used to read books and buy posters and go to the library. And if I'm honest, I used to, like the film Kez, I used to tear books out there, you know, pages out of the books and stick them on my bedroom wall and all that. And I became an apprentice to a guy called Steve Holsell, who's wow. still a friend of mine even now. And he was a falconer. And I, I was his apprentice from uh, about the age of eight until the age of, 15 and then i met a guy called bob haddon who again is still a friend of mine he's he's in his 80s now bob but i've always had him on a pedestal you know it's funny isn't it i'm sure you experience similar things in your life you meet certain people who are so influ influential that they almost like a signpost they point mm -hmm. you in a direction that that you wouldn't have gone had you not met that person well steve was definitely one bob haddon my dear friend bob 
with another. And he gave me my first job at Windsor Safari Park in 1985, I think it was. I'd left yeah. school. I was only 15. And I went into doing falconry shows and um, became a professional falconer. And I did that for years. I worked at the Hawk Conservancy uh, in Andover, which is a fabulous experience. I did all the show circuit. And then I got to, like, I don't know, late teens. And this passion I had for horses, which... I suppose I'd overlooked because I didn't realise how amazing it was. It seemed to somehow stir itself subconsciously. Something was telling me to do falconry from horseback. So I tried to research it and there was nobody doing it. How, how old were you by now? I was in my late teens. So oh, okay. we're going to late 80s. Late yeah, 80s. Yeah. And um, yeah, nobody was doing horseback falconry. But, but there's I mean, a, there's, correct me if I'm wrong. There is a historical link to to horseback. Mm. I keep saying horseback archery. I'm so used to saying to horseback falconry. Absolutely massive link because, of course, in falconry is a medieval pastime. Goes back thousands of years, and of course, before vehicles, the vehicles were were horses. So people who would go out hunting for miles, trekking over moorland and stuff, they'd have to go on horseback. So of course, you had to be not only a good falconer. But you had to be able to do it while you're on a horse, so you had to be a good horse person. So this is this uh, is quite a uh, this is quite a leap for I mean, eighteen year olds. You listen to them talking now, and you're like, you're just, just talking. But for for a, a young man to to be uh, so caught and to to see the vision of doing mm. something new, that's that's quite something. How how did how did that come about? I know you said it just occurred to me, but... Yeah, well, it's funny, isn't it? Because I've got my own children now, and I look at my kids. My eldest lad is 16. Now, at the, the age my son is now, I'd left home. I was working as a professional falconer. I was writing songs. I was performing. And to me at the time, I didn't think anything of it. You know, it was just what I was doing. Mm. Now I look back on it as a 51, nearly 52-year-old man. I think, I can't believe I did that. What on earth? Where did I get that drive from? I, I really don't know where I got the drive from. I guess I could say the same to you. What is driving you now to host these interviews and do what you do? I think it's either in you or it isn't. A lot of people are probably sitting at home doing absolutely nothing uh, because they think, well, I'm on a furlough scheme now. I'll just sit here and watch daytime telly. But I think if you're a driven person and you've got some desire within inside, inside you to excel or to it's not even about excelling and making money for me. What it's about for me is uh, we only have one life uh, as far as we know. And I feel as though every single second of my life is so precious that I want to express and do as much as I can and, and and share my passion and my love for what I do, for life, actually, with as many people as I can. And I think that's what is infectious about people like yourself and perhaps me, if I dare say that. So what gave the 18-year-old you? Yeah. You had all this drive, you're doing all these things, you're having a great time, but but yeah. what, what made you think I falconry horsepower i'm going to marry them up because loads of people do archery loads of people do horses and then they write to me going i've never thought of marrying the two up before yeah i think possibly um one of the first books i bought had a picture and it was a it was a painting it wasn't a photo of all these uh men in like medieval costume 
And it was a very romantic picture. And they were all on beautiful horses with arched necks and flowing mm -hmm. manes. And they were all in like really amazing costume and they had falcons. And the whole notion of that, to me, was very romantic. And I just thought, wow, gosh, how impressive. The, the fact that you remember that now and can answer the question with that picture is definitely the answer to the question. Yeah, because you didn't you, you didn't struggle very hard to go. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was that you were like, I remember this picture. Yeah. There's That's a part. Right. There's a part well, in, in, that I do in my rider confidence where um, I say people when they started doing riding horses, they had a dream, a goal. Maybe they had the 1988 calendar of Frisians galloping on the beach. Something yeah. that 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 when when they were first working down the spa for a pound an hour and people go, I'm going to get horse, I'm going to get horse. And people said, "What are you getting horse for?" It wasn't so I can walk around the lanes every six yeah. weeks going, "Hope I don't die, hope I don't die." It it yeah. was something else. It it was yeah. yes, because I want to have a fridge covered in rosettes. I want to follow the the trail of Billy the Kid from Arizona to Canada. This this pull this goal this dream mm. and i can see from 18 years old to uh, should we say above 25 that we are now um yeah th this picture has a fabulous fabulous mental image of how that stretched across anyway i've interrupted sorry carry on no 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 no, no. it's great to hear you uh it's funny to see carl actually you and i we should spend more time together when all this lockdown's finished because i can see that you and i are very similar you're an observer and I'm an observer, too. And I think if you work with animals, I've just been I'm doing a book at the minute, uh, which we perhaps we'll be talking about in a little while. And uh, my book I've been writing for the years. And I kind of every time I get towards the end of it, I go, oh, it's, it's expanded now. It's, I've learned more. So I want to write more to it. And I guess what it is, is I've realized as I've got more mature that I'm an observer uh, like you are. And when you work with animals like like we do, our colleagues aren't humans. They're animals. So we have to communicate with them in the only way that we can. We can't use spoken language. So we have to observe how to communicate through the other senses that we've got. And it's an extra sense that some people never develop. You know this because you work with horses. Mm. Mm. I know as well with, with, with certain horses that I've had, which are very sensitive. I had one called Picasso. It was just super sensitive. He could read my thoughts when he was at the other end of the field. Mm. So being an observer of that, I realized, gosh, how is he doing that? There's got to be a reason why. Now, I believe, without wanting to get too far down this particular rabbit hole, that you and I and everybody else in the world, we're receptors of frequency and vibration, and we pick up on vibration. We, it's not just a theory. It's fact. We know it. And horses are so tuned in to vibration because they can't speak that they observe vibration in another way. Like a lady I was talking to last week who is a spiritual lady and she can see people's colour, aura around them. She's obviously very susceptible and very aware. And that's what it's all about, perception and awareness of picking up on vibration. So I've kind of lost my thread slightly. But what I'm saying to you, I can see the very fact that you said, oh, well, that would definitely be where you got it from. You're very perceptive and you're very sensitive to how things all make sense and how they all slot together. So, and I'm like that very much. So, I think if you work with animals and do for a long, long time, you can't help but pick up that language. You, you work with animals, but the two animals that you work with are jolly different. Now, I work with with dogs and horses, which are, they are different, but it's it's not that different. But then you start producing 
birds into it, yeah. which are more related to reptiles than right. anything else. I mean, for, for me, I found it a challenge with my macaw, but macaws are particularly easy because by some quirk of fate, they have very humanistic characteristics and they behave like a puppy. But falcons don't. Yeah. So how how is it similar and how is it different training falcons, training horses? Right. I can tell you exactly because I've just written the whole thing about this. Oh, that's a good question, isn't it? It's a great question. Yeah, it's a great question. And it's very topical because I've literally just written about this. Okay, so you're talking dogs and horses, both mammals. Mm. They both have a side to their temperament or their personality, which is which connects to emotion. Mm. Uh, and also, I, I'm going to interrupt again. I'm totally sorry. Um, I also have a little theory of my own that dogs aren't wolves and horses aren't peristalkies ponies and people aren't people. We are a triad that's evolved together. So that gives us a certain amount of leeway. And we've got a fourth little member in that triad, which is fire. So fire yeah. and horses and dogs and humans have all evolved in a way that individually they would never have done. So I, yeah. I, I see us as a, a single organism that's, that's symbiotic. Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, falcons can't come into that. They're still falcons. Yeah. Dogs and aren't what, wolves, but falcons are falcons. Yeah. And I think what you're talking about is if you look at mammals and the evolution of mammals, and we, we, humans have been around for 200,000 years as human beings. Uh, I don't know about horses, how many millions of years they've been around, but a bird's... I think it's around 6,000 that have been domesticated. Yeah. But falcons go back to uh, basically dinosaurs. Uh, yeah. If you look at Archaeopteryx, which was 60 million years ago, it's not that different to a modern day mm. falcon. Oh, they're old. Yeah, yeah. So they've been around. They're, they're like you absolutely rightly said, they're reptilian in their ancestry. So if you look at the uh, a falcon's brain, there is a very small part of a falcon's brain, tiny part of it, which uh, relates to emotion. But there's a huge part of their brain which relates to instinct. So basically, falcons, like reptiles, have no feeling of guilt or sympathy or empathy. They just kill. And to them, it's as normal as, I don't know, you and me just walking out the room. They don't even give it a second thought. So they have no emotion related to death because they are survivors. They're very raw in their... In fact, you know what? They're refreshingly raw in their view on the world because... As humans, they're probably the most emotional of all animals. We're so conflicted and confused by different feelings that we have that it's we're basically like a, a jumbled up spaghetti of emotion. And so therefore we can't think straight. Falcons think absolutely clearly and purely. And that's why I love them so much, because they're not complicated. Yes, they're sensitive, but their sensitivity is based around three things and more, more two basically but there is a third one the first one is food that's what they think about the vast majority of the time food secondly they think about survival in other words shelter where they're going to stop uh, and, and protecting themselves and then the only other thing that they have to think about at certain times of the year is breeding uh, and that only lasts for a couple of months uh, and in the case of the male hardly at all they're they're 
participation in the reproductive cycle is quite small by comparison to the female. So th they only really think about feeding and staying safe. That's it. Nothing else. Mm. Um, everything that they need to survive, they've got within their design. Uh, if you think of um, us, I mean, imagine if we didn't have internet, imagine if we didn't have electricity or shops or shelter or heat, we'd be completely buggered, pardon my language, that's a bit of language coming up. Whereas a falcon has got everything within its design for survival. It's got the most amazing heating and cooling um, mm. system within the feathers. It can fly amazing distances, at incredible speed, height, and the peregrine particularly, which is my favorite of all birds can live on every continent on earth so the same design of creature that's living in freezing cold canada lives in the baking plains of australia and it's the same bird wow. and yet it can wow. live in these two different terrains so it that tells you that it's been around for millions of years it has inhabited every continent on earth and it's never changed so it's a much better design for life than the so life you can't planet. you can't train I'm, I, I, let me put it another way. I'll tell you my story first. Um, yeah. My macaw is nearly two years old, and it's just starting to understand. No, don't don't go on the door and rip the door to pieces. You know, uh, no, you can. Uh, it, it'll poo. You know, it'll, it's starting to poo in the same place. Um, yeah. Even understanding, no. When I first got it, I'm aware this isn't a dog. This isn't a horse. I'm not even sure it can comprehend no i'm not allowed and uh, obviously we don't have any kind of pack partnership or herd politics that i can there is flock politics um but i was surprised now that it's starting to understand commands and um more importantly not to do the things that it wants to do yeah. I can't for the life of me imagine that a falcon, especially now you described it as this instinctive laser focus thing, is yeah. at all trainable in that way. I don't know what I'm no. talking about. Enlighten me. No, you do know what you're talking about, very much so. Um, <laughs> to quickly compare the two, the difference between a, a falcon and something like a macaw or any grain feeding bird is a falcon sleeps 24 hours, uh, 23 hours a day, goes out, kills, and then goes back to sleeping. So that's all it does. Whereas so what predator-prey difference. Yeah, that's the difference. The, the, any bird, like either uh, parrots or or what the most intelligent of all birds is probably the crow family, the, co the corvids, not COVID, mm. corvids. Uh, and that's because they're continually gathering picking stuff up so their brains are busy 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 because they feed over a long period of time throughout the day they don't have one feed and yeah. then sleep yeah i've so, actually gone on to my chickens now and i can see exactly what you're about to say anyway can do carry on yeah no chickens are the same you see because they they they're, they're gatherers whereas a predator who's got it absolutely right in my opinion can relax for most of the day and then they have a massive effort to expand mm. a lot of energy and kill something. Then they feed and then they do nothing else. So they, they're really good at conserving energy. So their brains constantly, they're not going all the time. They have this point where they can shut off. Right now, as I'm talking to you, just on the other side of this glass behind me on my lawn, one of my falcons, Duchess, she's sitting out there on the lawn. She's got a little bath with her and she'll stay there till about eight o'clock tonight. She'll probably preen and sit in the sun and stretch her feathers, but she won't do anything. Now, you imagine your parrot being stuck there all day. It would drive it bonkers. <laughs> His brain is too busy. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. The falcon can go into this almost almost semi-trance-like state where they just exist. They don't. They're not thinking. They're just sort of existing. And then all that huge amount of uh, intelligence comes to the fore when they hunt because, like a cheetah, they can't afford to miss. If they've missed too many times, they've spent too much energy and they're tired. So they have to really build everything up to that moment of when they go out hunting and they kill, and then they can go back to a semi-trance-like state. You see what I mean? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that we'll drag it back to horses now because yeah. uh, our audience is horsey. So can you briefly get back to me on how you begin to to train the two together how, how, yeah. does, it, how does it work right well you, it's funny isn't it i'm sure you've you've reached this point in your career uh, i used to be very protective about the stuff i'd discovered and i had to teach myself uh, i didn't want to tell anybody me me, me secrets because i thought mm. well then you might become a threat and start doing what i'm doing but i've realized that um, without wanting to sound shuffled myself, I've realized that it takes a certain person to be able to do it anyway. So I could write the most detailed Yeah, that's book. exactly what I was about to say. I was so wondering what you were going to say then. Yeah. So what, what I'm saying to you is, is that it goes back to that word, and I use it all the time, awareness. I could teach anybody the theory but you cannot teach awareness. You can't teach experience and you can't teach the things that in, in you and me are automatic because you've been around it forever. You can't teach that in a book. So when people come and watch my show or they listen to my DVDs or whatever I've done and they say, how do you do that? I used to think, well, I'm not going to tell them. Mm. But now I know that I could tell them everything and they still probably wouldn't get it. Because uh, first of all, 95% of the people won't do it. Yeah, they, they just won't. They get the information. You can tell people till you're blue in the face, like do this, do yeah. this, do this, um, and and they they won't do it. Um, of the other five percent, if you took somebody, if you got a double booking and you yeah. took somebody and said, "I'm going to train you exactly what to do," you're going to go and do my show at Heavingham Hall, and I'm going to yeah. go to uh, Mel Plash. And how do you think your show at Heavingham Hall would go? Yeah. It wouldn't yeah. happen. It, it wouldn't, wouldn't happen. happen. So and, you know, it's the hardest thing in the world, Carl, because people who booked me in the past for shows and um, they they see what I do and they go, well, well we'd like to book you for so and so place, and then you you got a double booking and you think, right, well, maybe because of business and we all have to make a living, I'll train someone. Well, I've I've been down that road in the past. I've been down that road. It's an absolute disaster. Although, because... if I can just jump in before I say that everybody won't do it, when you get the person who can do it, first of all, they're on their own path anyway. Yeah. And they're an absolute dream to work with. They're, they're the one percenters or, or the yeah. two percenters. And then they're worth putting your energy into and yeah. everything else. And what they come up with is something uh, that is different but equally as good because they've yeah. got that drive they've got that vision they've got that goal that they got from the Frisian calendar 1988 and that's that's where my joy is when you meet someone like that and you get that work done and yeah. they they go and they absolutely blossom with it anyway i interrupted yeah. again <laughs> well you know what and the, the other thing is i'll quickly mention this guy there's a lad i know called arthur rampling right i've known arthur since he was 12 years old he's now in his 30s and he is the nicest lad you would ever meet i love him dearly like a little brother to me 
he has got so much natural talent and natural ability, okay? But he's got none of the drive. And it's so frustrating. Because I've taught him stuff and he picks up stuff like that. Now, very quickly, oh, 10 years ago, uh, I was doing some jousting shows down at a place called Escot. And I needed uh, somebody to be in my jousting show. And I, this guy, Arthur, who is fantastic at archery, he's great. He's a great swords, you know, sword fighting, stage combat, all that. Very physical lad. And a really handsome lad too. Long, dark hair. You know, makes you sick, really. Uh, I said to Arthur, I said, look, mate, can I teach you to joust? He goes, I've never ridden on a horse in my life. I said, let's give it a go. And I'm not telling, I'm not just saying this, Carl. Within two weeks, he was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I taught him and he just got it like that. He's natural. He's a very natural person with falcons. And I know absolutely 100%. If, if Arthur could apply himself, he would be better than me. I know he would. Yes, yes. He, he's just got it. But what he hasn't got is the desire to do it. And that's almost worse because for him, it would be he's got all the talent in the world, but none of the drive to do it. And, and I don't blame him because if it's not his thing, you know, why would he want to waste his time doing it? But there are people that I know who would love to be able to do what Arthur can do. And they would desperately try and they would practice and they'd read it, but they'll never, ever be able to do it because they just haven't got it. Talent comes naturally. But skill comes from hours and hours and hours yeah. and hours of beating on your craft. Yeah. yeah, true. Absolutely. And it's the same in everything, isn't it? You know, with music, people say to me all the time, oh, you're lucky. Oh, I wish I could play the guitar. You're lucky. It's not Wish, Wishing won't get you. <laughs> yeah. It, it's almost, when someone says it's lucky, you're so lucky. It's almost, and I never take it this way because I know they don't mean it, but it's almost offensive to say it's lucky. Because when I was sitting there eight years old with this guitar that was too big for me and I couldn't get my fingers and I was frustrated, it's taken me 40-odd years to be able to play the guitar. And but that isn't I, mm, I'm also just going to dive in here and say that there's a story that I often say, because I do this thing, Roman riding, you stand on the back of two horses and 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 ride around. And um, it, it's in my show. It took a long time to learn how to do that. And I remember learning how to do it. And I tell this story a lot to people to, to help them realize that if you put the effort into the horses, so I had to start work at eight o'clock. So I wanted to be having my breakfast at seven, which meant I had to be back from the stables at 6.30, which meant I had to wake up at five get down there for 5 30 tack them up 20 minutes doing a little bit of roman riding and then pack them pack them down muck out come back in time for breakfast yes and i did that i did it only for about six months but because i did it six months 12 years ago i now have this I yeah. have it, and people are like, oh, you're so lucky, you're so clever, you're so... Blah, blah, blah. None of it. So although you're saying, yes, the hard work, the hard work, in that particular case, in some particular skills, put the hard work in, make the yeah. dedication, you've got that skill forever. That's true. Absolutely right, yeah. But it takes effort, and, you know, I think probably because of the world we're living in now, that everything is instant. You can buy an app for this, you can buy a summer for that, a program. People are... I'm going to sound like an old granddad now, but young people of today, they don't know how lucky they are because everything is immediate, but it takes years to get 
amazing skills, really, mm. really difficult skills, takes years. There's no shortcut at all. Mm. And, you know, and I'm, I'm saying that not just for you and I, but for anybody who's really good at what they do. That's that's not a fluke. That's dedication. So how did, how did, so how did you start? So you were 18 yeah. and you started <laughs> trying to... That's great. This is, Sorry. Well, okay, so how did I start? This is the right, Social right. Distance Social Club. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, how did I start? Okay, well, first of all, I thought there's no point me going out and buying a Spanish stallion that's going to be, you know, way ahead of me. I, I want to start with something that I, I can go because I knew that the Falcon would be easy because that's almost second nature to me now. But how do you get the Falcon and the horse together? So firstly, I actually got a very old Arab horse who was probably, I don't know, in its teens. Mm. But it was actually surprisingly for an Arab, it was laid back. And I started off by just getting the horse and the falcon used to each other by, you know, you know, the horse was a little bit sort of cautious, but not frightened. Um, and then, of course, I had to ride the horse and swing the lure, the, the, the thing that we swing round for the falcon to chase. Well, I mean, some horses, if you swing something round when you ride them, they don't like it. But a lot of it is, as you know, it's confidence with the rider. So the horse will gain confidence if the rider is confident. And I knew that this particular horse I had, if he was to not like me swinging this lure thing around, first of all, I would be experienced enough to not have an accident because I'd be able mm. to handle it. Uh, and secondly, I would just be able to stop. If, if the horse didn't like it, I'd just stop because I had yeah. control of the lure. So I just gradually, gradually did a little bit and a little bit and a little bit every single day. Um, it didn't take that long, to be honest with you. Um, and then I started to train the falcon to fly back to the glove, which is the first bit, while I was on the horse. And then, of course, I wanted the falcon to chase the lure while I was on horseback. So you got quite a few things to think about. You got A, where the bird's going to be because you're controlling the bird. You've you got to think B, how's the horse, what position to get the horse in so the falcon is going to fly past without flying to the horse. And probably the most difficult thing was to be able to control the lure that you're swinging so the falcon doesn't catch it, but you also don't whack the horse in the face. Mm, of course. So I used, and I still use to this day, a sock. So most lures that people use is like a piece of leather and it's got it's quite heavy. And I thought, well, if I whack the horse in the face with that, it's going to end in tears. So I'm going to have to have a soft lure because people make mistakes. You could get a gust of wind. So I've got a sock and I tied a knot in it. So it was very, very soft and it wouldn't hit, hurt the horse if it did happen to get whacked. Yeah. And I mean, very, very, very rarely has happened. But like all things, when you're doing it thousands of times a year, there are occasions where you make a mistake. And But if it happens, the horse is only getting hit by a sock, so it's not going to cause a problem. Mm. And then I realized that I had to get the horse to turn. So um, fortunately, the next horse I got was a fantastic Lusitano who's still alive now. He's retired. He's probably 20 odd. And his name was Tulio. And this had been an ex-bullfighting horse. And uh, funnily enough, I met the guy who bred him only a couple of years ago at um, Golga, you know, the horse fair in Portugal. Uh, I went out there and met this chap. Anyway, because Tulio had been a bullfighting horse, he was trained to turn to the leg because obviously they've got normally the, the whatever they yeah. call the spirit. Yeah. So this horse would respond. If you just put your leg back and put a bit of leg on, it would turn the opposite way, which was perfect because it meant that I could control the bird, the bird with me, the hands, and obviously the reins on the, and then just get it, the horse to turn either way by using my legs. So that horse 
actually taught me. It's stupid to think people would think that sounds crazy, but the actually the, the horse taught me what to do. Um, so then I could get the horse to spin away from the lure. So and it looks really really cool as well. The horse, it's like I, the horse I can imagine, yeah, yeah. And of course, all this has to look when you're doing it in a show. It has to look seamless. It has to flow. It has to look like it, it, rather than it being a bird and a horse and a bloke, it's got to look like one movement. So everything's in synchronicity. And that's the tricky bit. But that takes practice, like we were just saying. So and then one day I was doing a show uh, and the King of Jordan was watching. And I'll tell you where this was. I've met the yeah. Crown Prince of Jordan. I got to hey. shake his hand. I met the Crown Prince of Jordan. I got to shake his hand. Oh, did you? When was that? Yeah. Uh, two years ago at horse archery, Alfaris horse archery. Yeah, very cool. Uh, at, at championship. No, it was super cool. And uh, yeah, so that was delighted. So I feel as though we're personal friends. Do carry on. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, we sort of mix with royalty, don't we? Of course we do. In years, years and years ago, we would have been knighted the likes of you and I, you know. <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> or, or hung. <laughs> or hung. Probably hung, actually, yeah. Um, so years and years ago at this show, the uh, King of Jordan was there. I didn't. I wasn't even aware who the King of Jordan was. He just happened to be a VIP at this event I was doing. And I was flying a falcon called Nico, a brilliant falcon that I had. Br one of the best I've ever seen he was, this bird. Just like, you know, with horses, you get occasionally, you just get one that's brilliant. And that's what this falcon's like. Anyway, I was doing this show and um, it was an accent. If I'm honest with you, it was an accent. He came in over the crowd, this bird, like an absolute rocket. And as he, as he went past, the whole crowd, wow, they all made this noise. It was awesome. And then the birds turned and came back round, and I made a bit of a, a mistake with my lure. And the lure dropped. I kept hold of it, but it dropped on the opposite side of the horse. And it was obviously visible from where the bird was through the horse's legs. So the falcon just went straight through the horse's legs, boom, like a shot. And I moved the lure at the last minute. So it turned, came through the horse, straight through the legs. And it was a complete fluke. And everybody went mental. At the end of the show, people came over and said, that was awesome. <laughs> Hang on, i got to ask, as a showman myself, did you style it out or did you oh, confess? Or did you confess, this is the most amazing thing that I've ever done? <laughs> Listen, I'll tell you exactly what I did. I did just what you would have done, Carl. The same as if you trip over... And you pretend that actually you're just tying your shoelaces. <laughs> I tried to sort of like make out it was all part of the show. That's what the showmen do, isn't it? And uh, I don't I really... know. I, th I, think if, I think if that... Oh, no. Actually, I'm going to tell my own little story here. We're at the Hearts show only two years ago. And the falconer lost his bird. So we're, we're in the middle of our show. It's quite a, a, a full-on stunt show, gymnastic show. And uh, someone went, there's an eagle over there. <laughs> there's an eagle sat in, the, sat in the arena. And so we were kind of aware that this thing might fly off and, and uh, spook the horses. My horses work very much on a pattern during the show. and We don't like the pattern getting interrupted. And we got to the end of the show where we build the pyramid. You've got three horses next to each other. Each of them's got riders. Two people stood on the back and then one person stood on the top. And they're still like, and this flipping eagle is, is coming in and I'm like this this pyramid is going to collapse if these horses 
realize this. So we got to the penultimate part of the show where Anna Sokolska from Poland, she jumps over a jump that's on fire, shoots a fire arrow into the target and shoot, and the target is loaded with petrol or something. And, uh, and that goes on fire as well. As she set off, this flipping eagle came down with her and just came alongside. She jumped the jump. She shot the target. The eagle was on the other side and it just flew off. And yeah, wow. we styled we styled it out like we meant oh, to. Good. Someone <laughs> caught that on video. Yeah, well, uh, did we get it on video? We got a photo of it. Certainly, there's a photo Brilliant. on the website. Uh, anyway, I, I've interrupted again. Carry on. No, that's no, fine. So yeah, anyway, it was so this thing with the bird going through the legs. People were came coming up to me all day. Go, wow, that was amazing. So I thought to myself, God, if I could get that to happen every time, and then I thought, hmm, maybe I could train it to do it. So. I went about training the falcon to fly to the hooks. And it was all little steps, just like everything else in life. You know, I started off getting the horse to stand still, getting the bird to fly through a couple of feet to a, to a piece of food, and so on and so on, until eventually I knew that at a certain point during the show, I could turn the horse to the side, drop the lure, and the falcon would come. But then I thought, people who know how we train animals are going to think to themselves, well, I can see how he's done that. He's just showed the bird, the bird the food, and that's what's done it. I thought, I've got to get this. So the falcon flies through the horse's leg, and I've not asked it to do it. He's just done it. So the crowd can't see how I've done it. So I thought, now, how can I do that? So this is how I've never said this. So that I've never told anybody this, but I'll tell you this now, because people would try it, I'm sure. And it takes a lot of awareness of how to teach them to do it. So... What I did is when I wasn't doing a show and there was no one watching, and because remember, you like you, we practice every single day and the public see us perhaps twice a week, Saturday and a Sunday, and then there's the rest of the week they don't see us. So that's when the hard work goes in. So Monday to Friday, I would get the bird to fly and I'd, I'd turn sideways on the horse. The bird knew that I was about to drop the food and I'd wait and I'd wait and I'd wait and then I'd drop the food and the bird would go through and get the meat, okay? And then every day I'd wait a little bit longer for to drop the food. So the bird was anticipating the food being presented and I'd wait till the very, now there comes a point where the bird is committed to going through the horse's legs. It can't stop because it's going so fast that if it tries, it'll crash into the horse. So it's committed. So what I had to do and what this is how I train him to do it, is I have to wait until beyond the point of the bird not being able to pull out and then drop the food. And I do it like that every single day when we're not doing a show. When hang, we on, are... hang on. So the bird's already under the horse, practically. Almost, yeah. It's too late to drop the food. It's never going to catch the food in that. It's going to miss it. Yeah, yeah. But the point is... What, Actually, what goes on and what doesn't is irrelevant. What what I'm dealing with is what's going on in the bird's mind. I've got to get that falcon to believe that when I turn sideways, the falcon is going to get food. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's, that's all you've got to do. Get the bird yeah. to believe that it's going to get food. And association. Then what yes. Association. And then every day that you're practicing and there's no one watching, you do give it food because that reinforces what's going. But when I'm doing a show in front of several thousand people and I turn sideways and the bird comes and the bird thinking he's going to feed me, he's going to feed. And I don't feed it. The audience go, how did that happen? 
All he mm. did was sideways, the bird flew through its legs. I was, because Classic. for two for two days of the week, it doesn't matter if it doesn't get fed. Because yeah. the fact that the rest of the day, the fact it will get fed. Mm. So it's worth taking the chance. I'm you understand what I'm saying because you're a trainer like I am. Uh, but people who've never seen my show before, they think it's like they think I'm Dr. Doolittle. It's like some magical trick I've got. But they don't know that all the building blocks that have led up to that. Well, they do now because I've just told you. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Um, the, yeah. This is exactly what I was just saying when I, I last uh, just said that we work on patterns. We yeah. work on the pattern. The pattern repeats. The pattern repeats. And then we deviate from that pattern. Yeah. And and gradually that becomes a new act till the point where the our act is so complicated, people are like, What are they doing now? 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 And our horses can do so much because they do shows and they do horse archery and they do the ride confidence course and they do filming and they go in lifts and they hide under tables and but it's all like stemmed away. Yeah. ultimately it stemmed away from the original pattern of trotting in a circle when you were young yeah. <laughs> and we just deviated that be and that became trotting the other way the the line between the two circles where a trotting becomes your straight line that is becomes out the arena and then you've got straight lines and you've got your, your left circles your right circles then you and and drawing it drawing it drawing it until we've got a, a, a fantastic show fantastic we could go anywhere do anything and people are going your horses are so well trained yeah which they are but as, as you say it's because you just repeat rinse and repeat rinse and repeat rinse and repeat bring all these strange things into their comfort zone and then they're happy our horses are super happy doing our show even though it's really complicated loads of stuff going on they're all, they're all ears forward oh, we're doing the show we're doing the show <laughs> and um yeah then you deviate further from that till you've got something that is just incredible yeah and i am super you proud of, of our amazing, horses. Uh, don't you find that amazing carl that um you know, we haven't got the ability to talk to our horses and actually explain, but that mm. almost becomes, uh, makes it easier. Words can be confusing. Yeah. When, yeah. when animals learn from repetition and experience, they've got a really clear picture of what's expected of them. Mm. You see what I mean? I, well, ab I absolutely see what you mean. And we find ourselves explaining what we're going to do to people, explaining what we're going to do, and then doing it and saying, see, actually doing it is a lot easier than making the explanation of it. And people are yeah, like, oh, absolutely. that's that's what you meant. Yeah. But, of course, with, with the horses, you can go in and explain to them straight away what yeah. we're going to do, and then using bite sizes, teasing it out. When we start teaching them to jump over fire, I've got a, a normal pole with a couple of tea lights on either end. Because, I mean, who's scared of jumping over a pole with two tea lights? Of course, those tea lights get bigger and then the fire yeah. comes along the pole until the fire's yeah. along the pole and, and there's just a little gap in the middle because the horse has been jumping the gap all this time. But by now, a year's passed. Yeah. And, and the horse is like, yeah, this is, this is nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, what you're describing is basically what I've done with falcons. You know what's really great about this, uh, Carl? There's room for everybody. Because we all bring our own sh showmanship or our own uh, little niche to the show world. Uh, I've seen what you do, and I, I thought it was a brilliant show that I saw you at Mel Plash. Uh, I love what Ben Atkins Plash, does. Right, Mel Plash, that's where we Mel were. Plash, that's where we met, yeah. 
I love what Ben Atkins does. I've worked with him several times last year. Lovely guy, Ben. Um, and obviously, well, all of the different jousting teams and show teams. And there's room for all of us because we, oh, there's, we, there's plenty of work for everyone. Yeah, we we bring something different. And I, what I try and do uh, as as much as possible, you know what it's like if you're doing shows and that's what you're relying on for your living. It's great to have a break from a show because if you go every year, every year, every year, you've got to reinvent yourself. Now, I've tried to reinvent what I do many times. And, and the way I've had to do it, because my niche is much more of a... Of a, of a less expandable theme is I've reinvented the show by having new horses. So uh, like two years ago, I got uh, Amadeus, my Frisian. Who's I'm just going to interrupt again and just say to the audience that Jonathan works ever so much. You're always out and about. How many shows do you yeah. do? It? Uh, sometimes you well, do bit, one show on Saturday, one show on Sunday. Had it not been for coronavirus, I had 130 shows in the diary this year. Yeah, 130 shows, 130. and now I've got none. <laughs> I haven't got a single bloody show. They've all cancelled. So anyway, it's got it's fine. You know, I've got other things I can fall back on. So that's Which not. Which we're going to talk about in a minute. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, but and the, you know, Carl, the reason I do 130 shows a year and I'm busy and I'm it's actually because I love it. I mm. love what I do, I, I, and it's. Do you get a kick from being out in front of a crowd of people? Of course you do. Course Any you do. showman who says, oh, I don't do it for the kind of glamour, the lying. Because to go out in front of sometimes 20,000 people and you're on your most magnificent horse flying your falcon that you've dreamt about ever since you were a child, which is what I did. And all those thousands of people are clapping and they come up afterwards and say, that was wonderful. It was amazing. Of course, that makes you feel great. And you're sharing. And I don't think, you know, people say, oh, it's showing off. And I want to I want to say to them, and? Yeah, <laughs> it's showing off. Yeah. Always yeah. been a bit of a show off. Why should we feel, in this country particularly, that showing off is a bad thing? The other thing I often get is, oh, Jonathan Marshall is a, is a narcissist. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a narcissist is somebody who loves themselves. And I say, surely we should all love ourselves. I don't think there's anything wrong with loving ourselves. I love being Jonathan Marshall. I'm sure you love being you. And I'd like to think that all your audience who are listening to you now, they should love themselves. Because if you can't love yourself, who the hell can you love? Very true. Very true. I had a moment um, when we were doing the... The biggest show I've done is the Liverpool International Horse Show, which is in the um, Liverpool Are Echo Arena, is it? Yeah. And um, it's three tiers of, of seating. It's like being in the Coliseum. And we were due to go on, and uh, we've got the stallion just standing in this chute that goes into the arena. It's all dark, and they've got a band on before us. So the band are there, and they're, they're hammering it away, and all the disco lights are going and everything. It's absolutely super. And they get all the audience to turn their mobile phones on, and there are people all around. And I'm just standing there at the edge of the arena, just like, <laughs> and, and I can I can feel the stallion behind me just sort of piaffing on the spot, and we're getting yeah. this, getting all his kit ready and all his UV and everything, and it's it's was the most amazing feeling, amazing. Yeah. It was such a massive venue, I loved it. 
loved it. Anyway, I interrupted again. Carry on. No, 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 that's fine. Listen, it's great. Conversations are great when they're two-way. Just quickly going back to that, what you're describing there, I'm very much um, a believer, like I was saying to you early, in that, that you and I and everybody, we're receptors of frequency and energy and vibration. That's what we are. Now, you know, when you've been out and done a show and the thousands of people are right with you, they're in the palm of your hand and they're loving it, you are receiving incredible amounts of frequency or energy or vibration from all those people who have got nothing but either admiration or love. In, in my case with the horses, because of the way I present it, I tell, I make it about love, really. I make my show about love. I get myself a bit emotional talking about this. But the thing that brought me to where I am now is love. My love of horses, my love of falcons, and I want to project that to as many people as I can. And I want people to pick up on that energy and go, wow, that was a really moving experience. And I get that a lot all the time. People come over to me in tears and they say, I've never seen anything so emotional. So and when you're receiving that kind of love or whatever you want to call it, vibration, frequency, when you're receiving that because of something that you've put out, it's a lovely feeling. It's a really lovely thing. And the money that you get paid and everything else, that's irrelevant. It's great. We all got to make a living. But the, the thing that drives me to continue to do shows and to continue to uh, try and radiate positivity and love and creativity and, and artistry is I know that it affects people. And so many times people have said to me, I've never seen anything like that. I'll never forget it. You know, what a thing to be able to do. Super. Um, for me, the overriding feeling when we're in a show and it's going well and everything's going super is uh, I'm just so proud of my horses and, and my yeah. human performers as well because it's all going on. All the costumes are looking good. And I'm so enthrallingly proud yeah. of the horses. And then they come off and I'm like, they they're just brilliant yeah but i know they're brilliant because of the story we told 10 minutes ago that you just tease it out and tease it out and tease it out and tease it out until you've got a massively super show with your falcon going through the horse's legs with no by magic and it all looks magic and uh yeah there you go yeah well that that's um the, the thing that i learned about the presentation of a show and and was first of all people have to relate to you so when i go out i mean remember i'm not part of a big team of people it's just me and my horse and me falcon and i go out and the first thing i do look hello everybody la 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 and i take people back to their childhood and i do that by playing theme music from black beauty and champion the wonder horse and why all the programs that we remember when we were children and you will remember as well and those emotional theme music which take you back to being a child is very relatable for most people because they mm. remember watching it on telly as well i do that on purpose because the first thing i want to do when i go out as a showman is i want to make myself relatable to the audience yeah. so they immediately they go oh yeah well he, I, I remember watching that when i was a kid and then of course i talk about how much i love my horses which is absolutely genuinely true i have horses because i love them that's the reason i have them not for any other reason because i love them there are easier ways of making a living <laughs> yes, there is. but it's about the love i've got for them and sharing that and so then people kind of and then of course i i 
specif specify. So a couple of years ago, I had a horse called Picasso who came from a terrible situation in Spain. He'd been on the meat wagon. It was awful. I got him as a skinny little wreck. And now he's, mag I've actually now, he's, I've sold him, he did two years with me and I thought he's earned a forever home. And I sold him to a lovely lady called Diane who lives up in Yorkshire. She adores him. And he went from being this awful little pathetic, frightened mm. thing to a show horse going out for thousands of people. And I've told people his story. And people you cried their eyes out. I cried my eyes out because it was seen the completion of a circle. But of course, having him now go off somewhere else means that I freed myself up to do the same thing. Get another yeah. horse. Give another yeah. horse. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you've got a, 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 a You've got a continuation over the years going through your shows of, of the yeah. horses coming in and, and going out, but better horses having had better experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then they give back to me in return and I give to them. And it's a, it's a sort of symbiotic relationship. So, do, so um, as well as doing shows, I, uh, yeah. I have my rider confidence, um, which started yeah. off um, just teaching people how to cope with the rear, what to do if you fall off. And then because by coincidence, I'd also done hypnotherapy and psychotherapy. Um, yeah. The two married together really well. I've got a big rider confidence thing. We also teach horseback archery and a Russian style tent pegging called Jigatovka with some trick riding in it and um, so we've got a school and I've got my rider confidence course which happens here at the stables and I've condensed the philosophy behind it into a book and uh, uh, there's various hypnosis you can buy and supporting videos you can buy I've got loads of free videos I do my Facebook lives I'm doing these interviews so shows aren't my be all and end all so the fact yeah. that they've all collapsed this year hasn't been that bad because i've got other things and people uh, we, we've still been able to do single person lessons so there are little knickknacks that we can do that has made this year not quite so disastrous selling stuff yeah. on the internet doing single lessons and we're just starting up lessons for two three four people so uh, what do you do besides shows is what this is leading to Leading to okay, well, um, again, like when I said when we first started, I believe we're only here once. I'm only here once as Jonathan Marshall. I've got to make the best of being Jonathan Marshall as I can before I go on to the, my next journey. And um, I'm fortunate to have been able to um, develop my skills as a singer songwriter, and I've done that all my life. I, I was in bands at school. I did my first album in 1994 called The Peregrine, which uh, sold really well. I was only in my 20s and I've done five albums since then. So uh, music has always been something that I have always done. And as the winter months, I used to do the falconry in the summer. And then from about November till March, I'd always go on tour. So I toured with Elkie Brooks, probably a lot of your uh, listeners or what your viewers won't even remember Elkie Brooks. Uh, but Elkie Brooks in the 80s was a big star. And uh, I went on tour with Elkie. I toured with Crowded House, who you might remember from... Yeah, I remember them. Yeah, uh, in Australia. And I used to go and uh, do all the music festivals in places like Australia and New Zealand and uh, South Africa. I had Canada. Uh, I went to... Supported the Bare Naked Ladies in Canada, which was great. So I've always sort of been on the fringe of doing 
quite all right with me music, but I've never become like a star. I'm, you know, in some ways, I'm sort of glad I haven't really, because uh, when you are people who I do know who have become very successful in music and have sold a lot of uh, albums and stuff, they're often controlled by a, a record company. And so they have to suit a certain sound or genre. And I think great... that I think that was the case. It's it's not the case now that we've all got our own private television studios. Exactly, exactly, and that's that's really what's changed things now because we've all got the ability to uh, get our stuff out there. So I record my songs, my own music. I do my own videos, um, and I put them on YouTube. I put them on my website. I sell my albums. I do live gigs. Uh, this winter just gone. I was in Nashville. I played in Nashville, which was absolutely fantastic. Uh, I met some amazing musicians in Nashville. Uh, I mean, like the best I've ever seen, really. And I'm inspired by a guy called Tommy Emmanuel, who a lot of people will probably never have heard of. But if you've never heard of Tommy Emmanuel, do yourself a favor and have a look at him online. He is the most incredible, first of all, person. Not only amazing guitarist and musician, I mean, the best you, ever, you will ever see, incredible. But what Tommy Emmanuel does is something that I would like to try and uh, emulate. He's a very positive, upbeat, approachable guy. And when he comes out on stage, and it's just him and his guitar, the whole room lights up. And he keeps people in a room like that for two hours, and you leave and you think, wow. And it's like you've been to see an enormous concert with a big band, but it's yeah. just guitar and that energy and that whatever he is he has that skill that ability to touch people is so rare and so fantastic and so amazing and i look at him and i think wow if i could do what tommy emmanuel does i would be delighted and i do in my own way i, I try my hardest and i you know I, I do okay uh but i also have to recognize that I'm not Tommy Emmanuel, I'm Jonathan Marshall. So I do my music because I love it, but it has given me a second string to my bow. So uh, I set you a little task earlier, just before we uh, before we came on, uh, yeah. to get all your links ready. So that, know, if, if, so that when we could, did you manage to get your links ready so that anybody no, that you well, didn't, right, where, where can people get your album then? It's all on my online thing because like you said earlier, because all the shows are cancelled, I thought, right, well, I need to be able to be in touch with my audience and the people who follow me. So uh, my website now, has I've got a really good, substantial website with videos and music and all sorts on their shows and stuff about my horses. And What's it called? I What's it called? A, Come on, we need to do a plug. What's it called? JonathanMarshallShows.com Right, Jonathan Marshall shows dot com. Here's where the the fluidity of the uh, interview breaks down while I fail to get. Oh, I need to put www dot in front of it. Got <laughs> it there. What have I no. done? How, have I spelt it wrong? It's J O N A T H A N. Look, let me put it. Let me put it on here. J O N A T H A N. <laughs> this doesn't happen on the one show. Yeah. yeah. Marshall M A R S H A W L. 
That's what I put. And, shows. And then after one word, Jonathan Marshall shows. All shows. one word. Dot com. Dot com, yeah. Boom. Oh, anyway, I'll put it on, so I'm sure they can find that. And, uh, what, every, anyway. you, you've managed to host everything on there to do with your shows well, and your music and everything. What I've got is I've got my, my main site, which anyone can go to for free, and they can look at all sorts of stuff. But then I've got a, a subscription site, so you can pay to subscribe. And on there, there's lessons. So I teach falconry. I teach That guitar. was my next question. Yeah. <laughs> do you do tuition? I do. So uh, because of the lockdown, I mean, I used to do – Falconry courses and everything else where people would come all the way down to Cornwall and I'd take them out and blah, blah, blah. But at the moment, we're not allowed to do it. So I thought, well, loads of people were saying, well, I want to do a falconry course. How can I do it? So all my stuff is online and I do uh, weekly videos. Uh, and I've started off, it's really been exciting to do, actually, from the day you get your bird as, a, as an untouched falcon to the day you fly it free. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What you you've documented getting a bird, getting a bird, yeah. getting an egg. What? You, know, you get the baby falcon from wherever it's been bred. Same and then with, how the cause, yeah. Yeah, and you so and how you put the equipment on, and how you put the hood on, and how you put the perch. Basically, the training of a bird from day one. And I'm now up to the bit where we're about to fly the bird free. So this week, I'm going to fly the falcon free, and we'll film the whole thing. And and I, what I try and do is put a realistic video of what can go wrong because in in uh to make it look like oh you just do that and you do that and that's no good people yeah. want to know what happens if it goes wrong yeah jonathan jonathan marshall the showman obviously wants to be working by magic getting his horse to go to getting his falcon go, to go between his horse's legs but jonathan marshall the teacher has to be humble enough um to show things going wrong now what we hope is going to happen and of course it won't and yeah. and and being able to show that um vulnerability yeah uh, yeah i'm i'm totally into that because i do try and and do that myself for example on these recordings here am i trying to type in jonathan marshall shows and i can't do it um part of what i'm doing is showing people my struggle to get these recordings going, to get these shows going, to do more on the internet, to uh, to build a YouTube audience, because everybody with the lockdown happening and it might it might happen again, or a new virus might come along, or 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 or, or but everybody needs an internet arm to their job, mm. so that will involve putting your business, whatever it is, having an internet arm. So. In this way, I'm showing warts and all um, yeah. how how to get this going, how to how to do what you can on the internet. I'm, I'm also explaining to anybody who cares to listen how I turned a bricks and mortar horse instructor business into an internet business. How I wrote the book, how I built the content, how I built the audience, the platforms that I use. Uh, there's a, a chat he's just popped on actually. Morning, Chris. Uh, Chris Lefab, I call him. Chris Lefeb from uh, America. He's been helping build my internet platforms. But I've been properly warts and alling it. I haven't yeah. been coming in as oh, an expert. It's like, yeah, well, yeah. I know what well, I'm doing. Like well, actually, you know, but what, people like that because it shows uh, you know, listen, at the end of everything, you and I are just a couple of blokes doing just our people. best. Yeah, yeah, we're just people. And 
And one of the things, you know, everybody makes mistakes. I've made clanging mistakes in my life, but the key is to try and learn from your mistakes and get over it. And you, the, you know, people are very judgmental. The I've been Yeah. The past, past, what is it? The past is not a hammer to hit yourself with. Yeah. So, something people, like that. I can't remember what the phrase is. People love to dig up stuff from years ago and try and beat you up with it. And you, and you But the worst thing you can do is say, oh, no, that's not me. That's somebody else. You have to say, yeah, yeah, I did do that. I made a right blood, bloody mess of it. But look, yeah. I've learned from it. I'm still here. I'm still plugging on. And actually, I think ultimately people respect you for owning up to your mistakes and being a human. Also, the thing the thing about um, doing warts and all documentaries about what you're doing, I, be I believe nowadays it was the case before that of fake it till you make it, you know, make out mm. that make out that you're super professional until you are super professional um but in the this world of fake news i think fake news is going to be is possibly one of the worst problems that we're facing at the moment in this time of fake news for authenticity is actually turning into a, a commodity that adds value so my mistakes my umming and ahhing and, and the internet what not working because i've got the stupid bt whole home disk system don't get it and uh, all all little things like that authenticity yeah. is a commodity where if you can just be authentic and be yourself people will buy into it and they'll because Definitely. they're so sick of fake news people saying they're something that they're not yeah and yeah. Um, and there we are so i am i am quite an expert in uh, rider confidence because i've i've done it for 10 years and had 3000 people through i've had that amount of conversations you'd have to be blind deaf and dumb to not realize the patterns people work in but i'm not an expert in interneting your business but i have got my story and i'm willing to share that yeah. and so that kind of honesty it wasn't hard to say that I don't yeah. have to go, oh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a business person, follow me. I'm, I'm not, but I have got my story and I can help you if you need to yeah. internet a physical business. Yeah, absolutely. And also, Carl, what you're talking about there is one of the things that makes animals so attractive to us because animals are totally and utterly honest. They don't have any side to them, which is uh, BS, if you pardon my expression. They just are what they are. And that's what makes them so charming. Because they're, they're raw, they're real, they don't lie. You're not embarrassed about having a poo in front of you or, you know what it's like. Do you remember that <laughs> brilliant um, clip from Blue Peter years ago with the elephant? <laughs> with the elephant. I mean, that's fantastic because that just goes, you know, they say never work with animals and kids and it's because they're so honest. And yeah. actually it's brilliant. Super. <laughs> we work with well, both. <laughs> Jonathan, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so yeah, much for coming you. on. And uh, I'm sure lots of people will look forward to seeing this in the replay. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. I've got to get yeah. on. So uh, we haven't got time for questions, I'm afraid. But I'll be back tomorrow at 11 o'clock. If you want to ask any questions of me, that's that uh, I'm here. Um, and... If you're watching on replay, everybody, of course, stick your stick your comments in the comments box and, and we'll get back to them uh, as soon as we possibly can. Uh, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Jonathan Marshall. Got love, everybody, and have a wonderful day. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. See you later. Bye, Bye everybody.